Judy's coming up right now to share with you a very brief passage of Scripture. It comes from a very familiar story in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, and I've asked her just to read two verses. They are pivotal verses, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes from John 6. Judy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. One of, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many people? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Would you join with me in a spirit of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we humbly ask for the stirring to occur. The way in which your spirit moves and surprises us brings us to the fulfillment of a chapter, the launching of a new one in grace. May this time that we spend this morning have not only its own impact, but lasting value by how it sends forth the washing of grace around the world and the establishment of your kingdom as you call it, name it, claim it, and create it in us and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Some of you know that I'm the younger of two brothers and the lesser of two brothers. Uh, some of you also know that my brother Jim has, uh, is um, uh, a special needs adult um, and most of you have seen him here once in a while or met him and there's not a time including last night when I left Montrose around 7.30 at night when Jim didn't say, be sure to tell everybody in church I said hello. So I always tell him I do. So right now I'm telling you, Jim says hello. <laughs> and I can now tell him on Thanksgiving that I really did tell the church. <laughs> About a year ago, a little more than that, Jim fell and broke his hip. And uh, Jim's 71 right now. And so, you know, it was a thing. And uh, Jim's always been terrified of medical personnel. I just, white coat syndrome. I mean, reality, just going and getting a shot was traumatic on everybody, <laughs> including him. And I always worry about what happens when Jim has to go in the hospital. Well, Jim fell, broke his hip. They take him to the hospital. And, and I get to the hospital. And, um, and the truth is, he's actually doing pretty well with it because he's balancing out people poking at him with pretty nurses. And that seemed to balance for him pretty well. He was okay with that. Um, he is a dake. And... Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I'm talking about my dad and my brother. They're both that way. Um, so anyway, so Jim gets to the hospitalization, and we need to get him to a rehab facility up in Genesee County. I'm his guardian. I'm the person who's in charge of his care. And I got a call one afternoon. He's got to get discharged in two hours. Where are you going to take him? <laughs> so I do the Internet search and do what I can. and say, oh, let's take him here. It's fairly close to dad, et cetera, et cetera. So we, I met him there. And I walked in the room, um, and I was just really upset. I won't give you a long description, simply to say that I walked in, it was a very old facility. Um, the beds were literally hand crank beds, there was no electrical beds. Um, basic, you hear me? Basic. And I'm also not a little frustrated about the fact that Jim 
after I soon realized the gym's been pushed in a, put in a two-person room, and his roommate um, has dementia of some level. And there are issues around that. And so I'm really not feeling good. So I drive home, I'm crying all the way home about how I've failed my brother and trying to figure out what to do with this. The next day I go back up. And I got there after breakfast and uh, Jim's sitting in his bed feeling like he has been moved into Buckingham Palace. Um, he, he has a bed that he can stay in for as long as he wants. He thinks that's cool. He has a TV right here that he can watch all day long, any channel he wants. He thinks that's fantastic. Oh, and the nurses. So he's living the dream. He is just thrilled to death. And Jim was in that facility for about, I don't know, I can't remember now, three, four weeks. And he eventually did get moved to a different room and so on. Jim loved being in that facility. He loved it. They brought him food. They gave him attention. And you'd have to understand they gave him a lot of attention because the staff sort of enjoyed going to take care of Jim because he was pretty lively and pretty, you know, flirty and silly. And, you know, he was a good patient for them. And they enjoyed him. And so it was a crazy dynamic party going on in Jim's room. And, uh, you know, I went to go get him on the day he was discharged to take him back to his group home. And uh, I was going to run in and pick him up and take him and get back because I had things going on here. And so I ran in, and 45 minutes later, we're still do doing the Jim Dake parade. <laughs> he, he's going up and down the hallway, and everyone, hey, Jim, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, a rock star is leaving. I mean, everyone had to say goodbye to Jim, and Jim had to say goodbye to everybody. He loved his stay in this facility. I think he's trying to break his other hip now. I think. He, <laughs> He loved it. Because he saw what I could not see. All I could see was old bed, old stuff, and challenges, and fears, and fear of failure. And all he saw was everything good. I'm the lesser of the two brothers. I think. Jesus knows something about that dynamic and knows that there's something about that dynamic in all of us, amen? I think there's a reality of some of us. We really set up the day by how we are reading, oftentimes incorrectly, the messages around us. And so they've been following Jesus for some time. It's in John 6, and, and uh, they're going along with him. And the crowds are starting to build because he started to do these things like heal people and and do miracles, and folks are pretty taken by that. And so it says, sometime after all these things, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. And then he went up on a mountainside, and you would think that would deter people, but it did not. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat, even though there was no Walmart open anywhere in driving distance. Philip's the one who says, you know, we realize it would take, <laughs> he's the mathematician, he's the, he's the finance committee, he's the accountant, he's the, he's the one in your family who keeps 
the checkbook. You know what I'm talking about. He said, there's no way we can afford to buy food for all these people. We have not budgeted for it. It's not there. There's no way it would take a year's salary from one of us just to pay for everybody. We cannot pull this off. Andrew joins in. He says, well, listen, here's what we've got, Jesus. You want us to feed all these people. I got a kid here. What's he got? Five loaves of bread. We don't know how big they are. It doesn't matter if they're the giant loaves. It's not enough. We know they're big fish because every fisherman has really big fish. We know that. But they're not big enough fish for 5,000 people. Jesus hears their complaints and their fears and sees how he sees only wooden beds and old equipment and all the negative and all the... And he says, all right, I'm listening to you. Why don't you just everybody sit down for a few minutes? You know the rest of the story, right? So they sat down, and they had a prayer. And he said, pass the stuff out. And they must have looked at him like, all right, how do you divide five loaves into 5,000? <laughs> they were overwhelmed. They were negative. They were doubtful. All they could see is what little they had or how big the challenge was that they wouldn't be able to meet. But there's this thing that happens when people of faith listen to what Jesus says, start passing it out, and they did. And over 5,008, and how much was left over? 12 baskets full. Now, if you're trying to figure that out with math, you've already quit listening to Jesus. It isn't the math isn't important. I get that it is. And we do have to figure out how numbers connect. That's holy work, too. But Jesus came into the world not to help us do better math, but to see a better life, to understand how we're called to be a part of what God is doing in the world, to see that God is already making it possible. Would you just please get on board? <laughs> the ripples of grace are already washing through this place. You understand I got an itinerant preacher who's got 5,000 people willing to climb up a mountain to hear him, and you're wondering if there's enough. Would you hand out the bread? And they were all fed. This month, we've been talking about a generosity challenge, which is not code for anything. It's simply being flat out saying to you what we have been saying, because it's what the gospel says. We are called to be the most radically generous group of people beyond our wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ, because that's what they did up on the mountain with five loaves and two fishes. And that's where you find joy, and that's where you find hope, and that's where you find life, and that's where you find your real happiness. And that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for us, and that's what I want for the community. That's what we're called to do and who we're called to be. Carrie Robertson wrote a book called Imagining Abundance, and she talks about this amazing large family she's a part of, and they have this annual experience of every year going to find a beach cottage somewhere they rent, and five generations of the family gather in this beach cottage for a week. Have any of you been on those kinds of trips? They can be wonderful and they can be horrific. <laughs> Sometimes all in the same day. You understand what I'm saying? Highs and lows, you know, family being what family is. 
And she talks about that in these trips, they figured out that they do not script it tightly. You know, no one's getting up to say, two o'clock, we've got to be at the museum. I mean, you get to read books, you get to walk the beach, you get to hang out. It just, it's being with each other. And in one of these trips, they were together, and someone started to ask the question, what is the secret to being happy? And they started pitching these ideas back and forth to each other about what they thought the secret was to happiness. And they all had some really good ideas and suggestions, but the one they wanted to hear from hadn't said anything. Their grandmother, Martha. Now, they knew as they gathered that year that she was not going to be with them the next year. They knew that they were in the final weeks of her life, but she'd made it to the beach, and they were celebrating that, and they wanted to learn everything they could get out of her because she'd been this amazing woman who had lived this amazing life, but she didn't have a lot to say about it. She just did it, right? I mean, that, she didn't want to talk or she was a doer, and so they said to her, Grandma, how do you, how do you find joy in your life? How, how do you replicate the life you're living? She says, well, I don't really know what to say to you about that. We begged her for an answer, she writes, arguing that she exemplified her in her very disposition the very thing that we were seeking. Surely she had some clue to extend. And then despite labored breathing, giving testimony to that she was in her final days, she said softly, smiling as though it had just occurred to her that this might in fact be relevant, she said, I do try to start off each day with a little bit of awe and enthusiasm. <laughs> Philip and Andrew, are you willing to look at this moment with some awe and enthusiasm? That God's stirring in this moment that that while you're seeing what isn't, you're seeing life coming to an end, you're hearing the secret of how to live your life? Did you start this morning off with awe and enthusiasm? Really, did you? And does the answer to that question impact how you will see the rest of this day? Does the answer to that question impact how the people who started this day with you experienced you or experienced God this morning already? We've been taking all this month long a generosity challenge. So I gave myself a challenge from last Sunday. I said, Lord, I, I, I want to live this week not prescribing, but trusting that you're going to show me moments of the stirring of your grace in the lives of people. Trusting that you're going to make me able to see it. So it began with you, as it always does with me. And it began to click off what's happening today that wasn't happening a year ago. Well, you heard last week a lot about the fact that you already have special need adults who are using your kitchen to improve their lives. And because of how I started the sermon, you know why that really speaks to my heart. What you may not know, confessionally, that as we've been here, just across the road, there is a group home. Did you know that? Some of you did. 
But we never knocked on the door. So Laura Spearin, being Laura Spearin, doesn't know not to knock on a door. <laughs> I've tried to contain her, but really I've given up. <laughs> so she goes over and knocks on the door. And she goes in and she meets the residents and we found out, she found out, that it's a community of deaf people. Laura, who knows no sign language at all to speak of, sees this as an opportunity. So because Laura bought into what Jesus said, she keeps asking for us to do more, to see more, to trust more. She said, why can't we invite them to come to worship with us? And there were some comments made about the fact that no text-to-speech recognition could keep up with Rick Dake in a sermon, but I don't know. <laughs> so now, we're working out arrangements, probably beginning the first of next year. We're going to hire an interpreter who's going to be standing somewhere over there to do sign language for people in the group home across the street who are thrilled to come who came and took a tour last week and were so excited to be invited and to be welcomed and to know you're going to make space for them. Huh? Really? And of course, we're going to start off small because that's what the church always does, right? It costs 100 bucks on Sunday for an interpreter. Talk us $50. 150 thank you, $150 a Sunday to have the interpreter here, so we're going to do it for one Sunday a month, because that's, that's where that money is right now. Loaves and fishes, we'll see. Who else knows only sign language who might come to worship because someone knocked on a door? I had conversation with Jeremy and Michelle and discovered that my math was all screwed up. We often talk about, you know, how many kids were at youth group on Sunday night, and, and we got some really crazy cool things happening on Sunday night in youth ministry, in both middle school and high school age. But I've come to understand those aren't just the children we're called to impact, it's the people of the community too. So. I started to ask different questions like, okay, not how many kids do you have coming on Sunday evening, though that's critical and we need those kids and love those kids. What else? Well, what else is right now you have the largest confirmation class coming to the church we've had since I've been your pastor here, 24 kids. What you also don't know, which I hadn't done the math correctly on, is, you know, we had this community event called the school sponsor called Real Talk, where we come sit down and they talk with kids about things like suicide and bullying and self-respect and things that really matter. And the school has cut the funding for the program because they had to. So teachers took time off so they could on their day off come and lead Real Talk. Jeremy and Michelle put themselves into the program, working with Optimus, who are paying for the lunch. This year, in this school year, we'll have 750 kids from the high school take Real Talk in this building. I looked out into the gathering space, and this wasn't this past week, I'll be honest with you, but it wasn't long ago. I, 
I, I, I looked at, and of course, the coffee shop is the coffee shop, and some of you are just barely here because of it. I know that you're sucking those lattes right now. <laughs> and while that's important, one of our baristas was gone for a while on vacation, who's here in the middle of the week when the kids are here, and so she wasn't here for a week or two, I forget, anyway. So I was here when she was back her first week back, and it wasn't the latte she made, it was the fact that one of the kids who's become very comfortable in the middle of the week to run down to the barista, not the coffee shop, the barista, to have somebody who's not mom or dad or a school person, but just someone who takes the role of being the listener, and she was so happy her barista was back. I saw them standing in front of the coffee shop with this massive hug. I couldn't tell who was happier. I think it was a tie. This past week, I sat in my office with a friend of mine whom I love very much. He shared with me a medical diagnosis of some great concern. And while my soul was troubled a little bit, she was the one who said to me, but I'm not worried because I have such a faith as we walk into whatever this is going to mean. I'm surrounded by people in this place who will walk with me. And for those of you who were taking the Generosity Challenge study or taking the, the um, uh, text that we got every day, I don't know that you remember, but on day five, here's what it said. Today, look for opportunities to be loving and giving to at least one person you meet. For example, spend time with someone you might not normally, that you might normally walk past or ask someone he would normally ignore to share their story with you. I mean, it's just a devotion. Doesn't mean anything. Except somebody read it and went to the community swimming pool to swim because that's how she gets exercise. It's also the great place she said to me where you can cry as you grieve the loss of your husband and no one pays attention because your face is already wet. And she saw this other guy swimming who didn't have a lot to say. Shorten the story. She finally reached across the lane divider and shook hand and realized he was there because he's weeping over the loss of his wife. But he didn't really talk to until she went ahead and reached across the barrier because this said you ought to do that and they shared the story. Now he has someone else he can talk to about how crappy it feels. It wasn't lost on me that was in a pool of water <laughs> or they're making a lot of ripples. All of these acts begin with ripples of grace. They are because God is stirring the water. They are because God is stirring in our midst. They are because people are being touched by God's grace and moved to do things that we never thought we would do. We never thought were possible. We would not have seen had we not simply stood in the ripple. Your commitment cards today are part of affirming that God's spirit is rippling. And for me, for my wife, Laura, this is not a math decision. This is a celebration of God's grace that washes around us and carries us sometimes in days where we cannot move forward on our own. And so we look at the step chart and we celebrate the fact that everyone on that step chart is in some way or other in the waters of grace. And thanks be to God, I want you all to continue in that water of grace. You're all critical. If you've never made a commitment to the ministry of this church, it's a great day to start doing that by the celebration of God's grace. I don't care the, the, the amount of the gift. 
For those of you who are giving significant, investing heavily financial, you understand how important your gifts are, but I celebrate all of them. What I really celebrate today is the fact that you all get to come forward in a few moments and symbolize what in fact is already happening. When you toss this stone into that pond, it simply is your way of proclaiming, God, I saw it, or I'm going to do it. And if we were to throw our stones in at the same time, do you understand how much chaos you'd create upon the water? Where God does God's best work and creates And so I want to thank each and every one of you for this generosity challenge that we've been living, which is quite frankly longer than this past four weeks. It's been going on for generations. We stand in the ripple. Because we are willing to stand in the ripple and make more tomorrow, someone else will discover abundance that they never knew they had. Thanks be to God for the baptismal waters that wash upon you and that we now release to the glory of Christ. Amen.